All right, well, hey, good morning. I'm Mark, executive pastor. I want to welcome you also. And I, man, I hope that you are excited about some Easter. I hope. My goal by the time we walk out of here today is if you came in and you weren't excited, man, hopefully you, you walk out. First service, I cried a lot. That may not say a whole lot, though, because yesterday we were watching Cool Runnings, and I, I cried when they were carrying the blob sled at the end. So that just, you know, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, uh, no, this, this is a time to get really excited, you know? And um, we need to stop and just, just say that. I've, you know, I've, we've got twins that are six, and, um, you know, of course, they get really excited about, about Christmas, but each year, I'm like, I mean, y'all, I mean, Easter, y'all, I mean, Christmas, yeah, Christmas is good. I know why Christmas is good, but man, that, that, that our Jesus made an open spectacle of, of the devil and, and, and took sin and death and kicked it in the teeth and came back from the dead. And that we get to be a part of, I mean, that he did that, and we get to live in freedom and life. Woo! Man, you eat something. There should be a woe when I say that, probably. There's something to celebrate, but you know what? I, I just don't think that we celebrate really well as a people, as a culture. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying you don't party well. I mean, you may party great. I'm talking about celebration, though. Talking about recognizing the things that have happened and remembering them really well. And then, you know, on an annual basis or ever, I mean, coming back to those things and, and really celebrating well. I just, I just think it's something we don't do. I mean, even though all along, I mean, people have told me, hey, when, like when God does something in your life, you should write that down and, and then go back and rehearse those things. I just, I, I haven't been good at doing that. And I, if I did, and I would remember, then it would, you know, shed light on the things that are in front of me and the faith that I can have in this moment and the trust that I can have in the rest. But I'm just not good at, at remembering. There's no markers. But if you look at the Old Testament, right, there are these, there are these markers that the, the people of, uh, of God, they, you know, they would, they would set these markers and they would remember. And there's these festivals and there's these things that happen so that, so that you never forget and so that you, you, you celebrate you celebrate well. You know, we, I mean, the, probably the biggest thing that we throw a celebration over is, you know, at a wedding. But I've officiated a lot of weddings, and you, you know what you get a high five from the, from the bride's dad for, right? If you can keep it to 15 minutes. If you, if, you can keep, if, you can keep, if you can keep this thing to 15 minutes, man, you did a good job. You officiated this thing well. Now, what is, what is that? I mean, in other cultures... Right? It's, if you've ever been to a wedding outside of the U.S., it's this, you know, multiple-day party, um, all these different parts of it, all of those, those symbo- symbolic things that happen. A lot of attention is brought to them. It's an all-day event the day of, you know? I was at one. It was way into the wee hours of the morning before the, the, the vows were even said. I mean, shouldn't it have that kind of attention brought to it? I mean, marriage? <laughs> We've been talking about in that last series, the two becoming one, and how holy and sacred that moment is, and how holy and sacred those vows are. You're making an agreement that you're going to do something for a lifetime. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's something to to make a big deal about, and then to celebrate. And anniversaries should be a big deal, fellas. You know, it's a it's a big deal, and we just we kind of let it pass by. And um, 
And you know, I've, I have been guilty of doing that with a lot of things, but for sure have been guilty of doing that with Easter. And, um, and I'm just going to confess this morning my ignorance. I, uh, over the last few years, I, I've learned some more about the, this, what happened with Jesus and his disciples at this Last Supper and the tie that it has back to the Passover and, um, and how, how huge that is. And I have been guilty of, you know, communion without thinking about Passover. And the two are going, I mean, this is, he and his disciples are having a Passover meal together. So if you don't, you don't get that, you just, you just miss it. And uh, luckily, I've got some, some good friends, and they celebrate uh, a proper Passover meal every year. And so they, the last few years, I've, I've got to go, been invited, and, and got to be a part of this. And man, like all of this symbolism is just jumping out to me now, you know, what this meant, and then especially like, all, what it meant to Israel, and then now what it meant when Jesus broke the bread and, and drank the cup, and how, how significant this moment is. And um, I'm going to go to Luke chapter 22. This, there's an account in all four Gospels. But let me, uh, let me kind of camp out in Luke today. And the best, what I'm going to try to do is, is bring, it's going to be a little bit different, try to bring some attention to what the Passover is and some of these these uh, symbolic things that have meant so much to me now, and uh, maybe it'll, maybe God can use it in your life. So it says, Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. I just want to stop there for a second. So this is the, this is the reason that Jesus and his disciples are fixing to, to meet together. This is the, the day of unleavened bread. Um, remembering when God set Israel free from Egyptian bondage. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about that story today. I'd encourage you to, to go back and read it maybe this week and really think more deeply about it. But if you remember, they, they moved out really quickly, and they, uh, the, the symbol of unleavened bread, the, the bread didn't have time to rise. Also the symbol of bread without leaven. This symbol is used a whole lot to talk about without sin, unleavened bread. It's the day of unleavened bread, which they celebrated year after year after year, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. There's this attention brought to the, the unleavened bread and the sacrifice of a lamb, which, y'all, you know, we read Bible and we just kind of roll on sacrifice and we don't stop and think. Um, part of this, a family would, they would have a, a little lamb without blemish, and they would keep it in the house for four days, and then they would slaughter it and spill its blood. I mean, imagine at your house bringing a sweet little white lamb in there, and then the red blood down the side of that lamb. And all of the symbolism of what that means, that that blood was shed, that the lamb had to be sacrificed, but how gruesome that is, and how you would get to know the lamb, right? We get, uh, my wife teaches, and she's got some guinea pigs in her classroom, and every once in a while, the guinea pigs will come to our house and spend a few days, and you know, they're so cute, and you get to kind of know them, and then, and then, and then we're talking about, here's the lamb, you get to know it, and then there's the, the sacrifice. So Jesus sent Peter and John, um, sent Peter and John, saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? They didn't, 
They're like, man, we don't have Airbnb. How are you going to hook us up with a place? We're just in this. Oh, by the way, they're in Jerusalem. And this is kind of what's going on. Like, uh, the best way I could describe it is maybe, like, you can celebrate Mardi Gras a lot of places. But if there's a chance that you can celebrate Mardi Gras in New Orleans, that's what you do, right? I mean, that's the place that you go. Well, if you're going to celebrate Passover, you can celebrate a lot. But Jerusalem is the place. In fact, at the end of the celebration, uh, kind of the last thing that's said is, hey, next year we'll, we'll be in Jerusalem, whether you're in Jerusalem or not. And it's just this recognition that, man, if it's possible that we could celebrate this Passover in Jerusalem, man, let's, that, would be, that would be incredible. So all the people have descended on the city. So there's also not a lot of space but here he goes. He, he sends them. He says, uh, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said, and where, uh, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. That's convenient. Uh, follow him into the house. He enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, uh, where is the, the guest room where I might eat my Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room uh, furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. If you were here last week, I just think it's really interesting. Was that not like the, almost the same story as last week and how they ended up with the donkey? <laughs> it's like, I mean, which to me, I mean, in some ways insignificant, but then also crazy significant that this is Jesus that we're dealing with. If he wants a room, he he can take care of a room. If he wants a donkey, he can take care of getting a donkey. I mean, he, I mean it's just like, oh, that's something that we're going to spend a lot of time on. Hey, guys, just go, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And, and that, this just tells us something about how incredible this Jesus is. And it's also kind of a really cool party trick. You know, if I could do that, that'd be awesome. Hey, we're just going to go, and, you know, where's the, what hotel are we going to stay in? Hey, just walk in, say Mark needs a room, and they'll go take you to the room. That would be really cool. That's what this Jesus can do. So then, uh, verse 14, it says, And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and his apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. It says he reclined at the table. This is, this is really big. I mean, I don't know what your picture in your mind is. You know, we've seen paintings. You know, it probably didn't look like one of those paintings, right, where everybody sits on the same side of the table <laughs> and, and poses for the selfie. Like, that's, that's, that's not what it looked like. It says he reclined, which could, you know, you could pass over that. But it's actually a really big deal. In fact, we're going to look at the four questions that you ask at a Passover meal in a minute. And one of those, kind of the fifth question, is... Hey, the kids ask the parents, hey, why do we sit in padded seats and relax at the, at the Passover celebration? Normally, we would just sit in these, you know, maybe your normal dining chairs. But at the Passover, we add extra padding and we recline at the table. Why? You know the answer. We recline at this table because this is, this is a celebration. We recline at this table because God set us free from Egyptian bondage, and we can rest. It's kind of the same thing as the, when we talked about the Sabbath day and how as followers of, of Jesus, like there's this, we get to rest. We can trust in his provision and his protection and his presence and his power, and we get to rest. 
Now, we're not anxiously running around trying to, you know, seven days a week make it all work. We get a day of rest. Well, in the same way, the Passover meal, he's reclining at the table, this picture of, of rest and celebration. Then it says, uh, so, so then what happens at the, at the Passover meal, which when the first time I did this, it was really surprising to me. It's basically broken down into these four sections. And each section uh, is broken down by these four full cups of wine. And each cup has uh, symbolism and significance, and there's these different parts. And so I'm going to break it down this morning by these different cups. They actually come from Exodus chapter 6, um, where God is talking to Moses, and he says to him, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The, the first cup is the cup of deliverance, uh, or the cup of sanctification. He will bring you out, and I will deliver you. That's the second cup from slavery to them. I will redeem you. That's the, the third cup. It represents his redemption with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people. The, the final cup is the cup of, of acceptance. And I will be your God and you shall know that I'm the Lord your God who has brought you from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So this first cup is the cup of sanctification. He says, I will bring you out. And uh, if you remember in, in the account in Luke, uh, beginning in verse 17, it says, He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, uh, he said, Take this. And divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now, uh, from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So this is the first cup. You know, when there's two different times that it talks about Jesus taking the wine. This is actually the first time he takes it. It is this, this cup of sanctification. And during this section, this is really where the story about how uh, Israel was set free is really told. And they talk about all the different plagues. They talk about the, um, you know, the, what bondage looked like. There are these different elements. It's, a, it's an object lesson. There are these different symbolic things that are brought to the table. There is um, the unleavened bread. There's uh, bitter herbs. There's actually horseradish. And uh, I don't know if you've ever taken a big bite of some horseradish, but it's, it's, pre it's pretty bitter. Um, I had some sushi last night with some friends and ate some wasabi and I like spicy stuff but wasabi does it I mean spicy stuff will make me sweat a little bit but wasabi will straight it made me I just started tears I always put too much in the beginning and then I'm like well, I don't know I kind of like that burn but it would it hurts right there's this picture of this word picture with this these bitter herbs and then of course the the sacrificial the the meat the lamb and so uh, they rehearse the way that, that God went right at the Egyptian gods, one after another after another, right? Each one of those plagues was a direct shot at one of those gods. And then the final one, you know, the, the Pharaoh was also considered a god. And that, that final shot where, where God was going to pass over and the firstborn was going to perish. But then if this, if this lamb would be sacrificed and the blood put on the doorframe, that he would pass over that house. And so they rehearse and they tell the story. And uh, as they begin that, the first thing after they've, uh, they've had this first glass of wine, 
it says that, that they, they'll wash their hands in a kind of a ceremonial cleansing. Well, that's really cool, but you also know in John chapter 13, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father, this is the same, this is just John's account, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he towed it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus not only washed his hands, he stepped out and washed the disciples' feet in this part of the ceremony. And if you look at more of what he teaches them that night, he teaches them about servanthood, that the, the, you know, the greatest among you is going to be the one that, that serves. I am among, I am among you as, as a servant. You, like Charlie talked about last week, you've missed what I'm here to do or how I'm going to do it. This is, this is who I am. He didn't just wash his hands. He got down and washed the disciples' feet. And then this is where they ask these, these four questions. And it's, it's the kind of thing that uh, it's the idea is like the children are asking and the parents, the adults in the room are, are answering these crucial questions about why do we do this? You know, after, um, you know, the, the Passover, this is what God set us to do year after year after year and remember it. Why do we do it? And, and all the questions are about why is tonight so special? Why do not tonight do we only eat unleavened bread? You know, other times we, we eat bread with leaven. Why tonight do we eat the unleavened bread? And like I said before, there's a lot of significance in that and the, how quickly they had to leave. And, and then also, I mean, there's a huge, you know, before you have Passover, the house is cleaned and there's, there's a lot of attention made to make sure that all the leaven is removed. The symbol of, of sin being, being removed. Uh, also, it's, it's kind of interesting, the, the unleavened bread normally... The way that it's cooked, it has stripes on it and holes poked in it, which for us, when we think about the symbolism of Jesus and the, and the breaking of the bread and the breaking of his body and the stripes and the nails. The second question is, why tonight do we eat only bitter herbs? This, this horseradish and, and parsley and things that aren't you know, necessarily great to the taste that are bitter. And the, the answer to that is, well, we eat the bitter herbs, so it, rem, it reminds us both with man, sight, touch, taste of the bitterness of slavery. How, 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 how bad of a situation our, our ancestors were in, and what an incredible thing God pulled them out of. The third question, why tonight do we dip our herbs two times? There's two different things. There's, there's a little bowl with some salt water in it. So you dip the, the parsley or whatever in the, in the salt water. And that's a reminder of the tears that were shed. There's also this kind of sweet mixture of apples and, and things. Uh, I think it's called prosit. Uh, uh, I never can say I'm going to say things wrong. I'm going to butcher it, so I'm sorry if you know. Uh, but that, it's a kind of a brown mixture, and it looks like the bricks, right? Because the work that they were doing was this, uh, this building, and there were these bricks that they were making, and so it's this reminder of this this slavery and 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 these uh, this the situation that they were in, so that generation after generation remembers. And then the last one: Why tonight do we only eat roasted meat? This <laughs> this this picture of of the sacrifice, the the sacrifice that's so critical. You know, a few, I guess a couple years ago, I told a story about uh, taking some seventh graders to a camp 
and they decided that they wanted to teach us about how uh, our food, you know, is, you know, these animals give up their lives and how we don't appreciate that when we go to the grocery store. I got rebuked really bad for this story, so I won't tell it in all of its gruesomeness today, but uh, this this guy brought out this really fluffy bunny and then explained to all these seventh graders that, you know, when you don't really appreciate it, and then he, yeah, he, he, he killed the bunny in front of him. And he let them all pet it and get to know it. And then, <clears throat> yeah, he just, it, was, it was pretty gruesome. And, uh, and then blood was shed. And it's just, if you, if you get away from that, like if you try to think about Easter and you, you, it's our communion and, and, and not the Passover, and you miss, I mean, the sacrifice that is made, the reality of slavery and bondage for the believer the way that our, our brokenness and separation from God, our, our distance from him, our lostness, and then that he would save us, but it would be by this, by this sacrifice. And so when they tell this story, one of the things they do, they, they use this word, uh, dainu. I don't know if you've ever heard, it's a, it's a Hebrew word. It, it means it would have been enough. And of all the things, man, this may be the one that just has really been transformative for me, and, uh, and what they'll do, they'll, they'll have this little saying where the leader will say part of it, and then the, the crowd, the, whoever's at the table, will respond back to him with this word, dainu. It, it would have been enough. And he, here it is. It, it, they'll say, if he had taken us out of Egypt and not made judgments on them, dainu, it would have been enough for us. If he had made judgments on Egypt and not on their gods, dainu. It would, it would have been enough for us. If he had made judgments on their gods and had not killed their firstborn, Dainu. If he had killed their firstborn and had not given us their money, Dainu. If he had given us their money and had not split the sea for us, Dainu. It, it, it would have been enough. But if he had split the sea for us and, and had not taken us through it on dry land, Dainu. If he had taken us through on dry land and had not pushed down our enemies in the sea, Dainu. If he had pushed down our enemies in the sea and had not supplied our needs in the wilderness for 40 years, it would have been enough, Dainu. If he had supplied our, our, our needs in the wilderness for 40 years and had not fed us manna, Dainu. If he had fed us manna and had not given us the Shabbat, the, the Sabbath, Dainu, it would have been enough for us. If he had given us Shabbat and had not brought us close to Mount Sinai, Dainu. If he had brought us close to Mount Sinai and had not given us the Torah, Dainu. If he had given us the Torah and had not brought us to the land of Israel, Dainu. If he had brought us to the land of Israel and had not built the temple, Dainu. Do you get it? How, how, how that's so significant? So it, it, it's, this, it's this thankful heart of... And this God is absolutely incredible. And if he had just done that, if we just stopped for a second and said, I mean, just that, that was enough. Whoa, 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 whoa. But he didn't stop there. Then he did that. And if he had done that, that would have been. But he, I mean, he's so incredible. He didn't stop there. Then he did that. Y'all, let's think about it for a second. I mean, if you know Jesus this morning, the fact that he came, he lived, he died, he came back to life again, and he took sin and kicked it in the teeth. What else? <laughs> that would have been enough. 
I spend so much time thinking about, you know, all the things that I have in front of me and my anxious heart, and, the, and I, I, I let my thankfulness kind of go out the back door. Dainu, it would have been enough. But our God is so good that he didn't just stop there. Then it's the next thing and the next thing. And your life today, his provision, his protection. is. But it would have been enough if we just stopped right now. It would have been enough. Dainu. I'd encourage you to, to use that word maybe in your household. <laughs> it's a lot of power. So that's, that's the first cup, and I promise the, the other cups I'll move more quickly. Uh, since there are four, you're probably wondering. Uh, the second cup is the, the cup of praise. He says, I, I will deliver you. And um, when this cup is taken, there is a, um, they'll take a psalm, and very similar to the Dainu, they'll, they'll recite part of that psalm. You know, there's some that then have a place that the, the crowd can kind of speak back. For instance, Psalm 136 give thanks to the Lord for he is good and then the crowd would recite back his love endures forever you catch all the thankfulness in this ceremony <laughs> recognition of what God has done remembrance of what he's done a celebration of man this God is incredible give thanks to the God of gods his love endures forever give thanks to the Lord of lords his love endures forever and there's I, I'd encourage you to read all of Psalm 136 because it's it's incredible but it's just this remembrance and so then you've got the third cup, the, the cup of redemption. He said to Moses, tell him, I, I will, I'm going to redeem you. And this is the place that we, the, the part that we really know of the Lord's Supper, this is the place that that happens. Uh, Luke 22, verse 19. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way that this Passover meal is reminding the people of Israel of what God did bringing them out of Egypt, Jesus now says, do this and remember me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. What's interesting is, is this is happening after the meal after the meal has taken place so you, so you know the the sacrifice has been consumed and now you're you're taking this this wine representing the blood it, um, I read somewhere that a lot of times they'll even add a little hot water to it because the symbolism of of it being more even more blood like is there <laughs> like this is this is significant like this yes this represents blood and I just ate that animal this this sacrifice it should be fresh on my mind and here he's saying i am that also really interesting this uh breaking of the bread you know like i said a minute ago a lot of times this uh this unleavened bread it would have stripes would have holes in it um there's this really kind of cool ceremony where they uh there's three pieces of bread and the middle piece is broken and then taken outside and hid and it's it's called the afikoman and that's actually what they go back and, and bring back. That would have been what Jesus broke. This, this one that went outside the camp. I mean, there's so, so much that is tied to what Jesus did on the cross. It says, uh, do this and, and remember, don't, don't forget. And then the final cup is this cup of acceptance. I will take you and you will, will be my people. 
And something else that happens at a Passover feast, there's this, um, there's an empty seat for Elijah. There's a, a time that the children will go to the door and open just to see if maybe Elijah showed up. And that is a look to the hope of a Messiah. And that, man, Elijah, that, that's coming, and that Elijah would, would usher in that time. If you'll remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus, what did he say in, in John chapter 1? He saw Jesus coming tor- toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here he is. Here is the fulfillment of that. So when we think about the Passover and we think about the Lord's Supper and we think about communion, we are celebrating a Jesus who, who came, who, who set us free, who won the victory over death. It's real. It's, it's now. And y'all, that's just something to celebrate. Easter, uh, all really, the whole, you know, the weeks leading up to Easter have always been really significant to me personally. Um, I think I've, I may have told you this before, but uh, 20 years ago this year, a, uh, a good friend of mine died on, uh, on Good Friday. And, uh, and that Good Friday, he and uh, some other buddies of mine, we, uh, it was a, a, a talent show, and we went to the talent show and reenacted the crucifixion at the talent show. And that didn't finish till late at night, and it was really beautiful and very cool. And after that, we decided we were going to go camping. And it's actually on the camping trip that we had a boating accident, and, uh, and Antoine died. And um, So, you know, that's just really hard every time Good Friday comes around. Well, then we went to uh, Texas, to his hometown, to the funeral. And here we are sitting, you know, up front, real close to the front. And the guy steps up to the piano, and you know what he does? He starts to play the happy song. Anybody remember the happy song? It's one of those choruses that you sing to and it goes, I'm happy, 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 happy. Jesus makes me happy, happy, happy. You're supposed to dance and stuff. <laughs> we looked at each other. We were like, man, I mean, what is this cat doing? And I really, because I was very emotional, I really wanted to go punch the guy in the nose. <laughs> and I, was, I even stepped, started to step out of the aisle because it just felt like that's not the song you play at a funeral. And it felt like, man, this needed to be stopped. And then I looked up, and Antoine's mom was on the front row just, you know, just a few feet away from an open casket of her, her, her son. And she is singing at the top of her lungs, happy, 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 I'm so happy, happy, happy. Jesus makes me happy. And, and I just, I stopped and I realized that she gets it and I missed it. That what our Jesus has, has done, I mean, this, this friend of mine, yeah, he, he's died and I'm going to miss him. But man, but because of what Jesus did and, and taking away his sin and making him clean and giving him life, he has life eternal. This would be a day to be sad if there was no Jesus. <laughs> but this is a day to celebrate because there is a Jesus and he's real. You know, I don't, I don't know how you celebrate, but I'm going to challenge you that these days, that you'd find a way to celebrate that big time. <laughs> you know, 
may not be a, a proper Passover meal, but these celebrated right. I know we've got the, you know, COVID kosher, uh, the communion cups in the back that are, you know, this big, and that's not four glasses of wine, but it is a moment here that you could take that, and you could remember the blood that was shed, and you could remember the body that was broken. Significant. He says, do this. Don't forget. Let me pray that we wouldn't.